All right, good morning. My name is Chris Kopp. I am the site pastor here at Brader Way. Welcome to everyone watching online at Fitchburg, downtown, Gospel Fusion Traditions, and to everyone in the room. It is great to be with you all. And to everyone in our Spanish-speaking ministry, bienvenidos a Blackhawk, and everyone in Blackhawk Chinese ministry, ni hao peng yo men. Hope you guys are all doing well. Thanks for joining us. And again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there and anyone, again, like Tiffany said, that helps to take care of a kid. Uh, we're so grateful for all that you do. And if I can, just for a moment, happy Mother's Day to my own wife, Amy, who, well, it looks like she's already gone with the kids into the family room. So happy Mother's Day in the family room and to my own mom and to my mother-in-law. I love you guys. Um, man, as we talked about just a second ago, we love the fact that it's warm weather out finally, right? Um, although it looks like maybe within the next couple days, we're like gonna skip spring altogether and just go to upper 80s and summer weather. I had the lawnmower out a few days ago. It was awesome, loved doing that for the first time in the season, but then that was followed shortly after by seasonal allergies. Thank you so much. So if my voice sounds a little bit different or like an octave lower than usual or it cracks or does any sort of funky thing, just bear with me. Well, today we're continuing in our Micah series, This Just Got Serious. And already we've seen just, we're on the third week now, but that things are not going so great. The leaders, everyone in, in Israel is super corrupt. They're full of injustice and all these sorts of things. So the question we're gonna ask today is how? How did things get that bad? How did this nation that was supposed to be a beacon of hope and light to the people around them become so full of injustice? Well, when things aren't going well, it's often a good idea to look to the leaders because things often start there. So that's what we're gonna do today. But first, show of hands, all sites, all venues, raise your hand if you have ever, like at least attempted to go water skiing, wakeboarding, or tubing behind a boat. How many people? That's almost everyone, at least in this room. So it was about this time of year, 25 years ago or so, that um, the neighbor dad, Mike, took his two kids and me and my brother out to go tubing out on Lake Mendota. And yes, it's freezing before Memorial Day weekend. I don't recommend that, but we went anyway. Now, I love my dad. I have an awesome dad. But the thing you need to know about this neighbor dad, Mike, is that he was the epitome of a cool dad. He would take us to monster truck rallies and Madison Monsters hockey games at the Coliseum back when that was a thing and BMX competitions and we would drive around in this sweet orange van that had like these awesome flames painted on the side. We would blast Tom Petty and we would bask in the glory of our newly applied temporary tattoos that he just bought us from Rocky Rococo's. Oh man, it was amazing. And that was living the life for an 11 or 12 year old and apparently still a 30 five-year-old because I'm getting pretty excited about this. So when Mike went to get behind the wheel of a boat, let's just say that he went all in. Now the thing you need to understand about a boat, for the few of us that maybe haven't been on one before, is that every boat leaves a wake, right? Like this path of two diverging waves that it leaves in its path, something like this. Um, but if the driver starts to do like circles or even figure eights in the same area of the water, those nice looking diverging waves all of a sudden begin to weave and cascade together making for really, well that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you, but you get the point, right? Can make for really rough water. And let's just say that the way Mike drove it left behind sheer mayhem and chaos. 
as evidenced by like the flailing bodies of a bunch of 11 and 12 year olds, like clinging to the tube for dear life. He did several circles and then finally, there was a momentary reprieve. The boat stopped, there was some slack in the line, got a chance to rest. And then I was looking at Mike in the boat and he had kind of this mischievous look come across his face and he kind of pointed to the water just a little bit ahead and there I saw it. It was like this perfect storm that he had created of these cascading waves. It was like this torrent that we were surely just about to go through. So within a few seconds, he slammed on the throttle. We were thrown back in our tubes and then boom. All I remember was feeling like the tube had lifted like 10 feet up in the air. I was having this out of body experience, looking down at the water and looking down at the boat below. Mike's wake left behind sheer chaos and destruction. But not every boat, not every driver has to do that. My dad, being the gentle and compassionate man that he is, we would go tubing growing up, we had a family boat, and he would gently weave us in and out of the boat's wake, even intentionally bringing us into the wake of the boat when he saw that there were rough waters ahead because it was right there, right behind the boat, that the water would be smoothest and safest. So every boat, every driver leaves a wake. It can lead to destruction and chaos, or it can lead to safety and protection, but every boat leaves a wake. Why do I tell this story? Because as we look at leadership in the book of Micah and in chapters two and three, we dig into what the leaders were doing, we're gonna see the same thing, that every leader leaves a wake. It can be good or bad, it can result in peace or destruction, but every leader leaves awake. Let's turn to Micah chapter three, and as you're turning there, let me kind of preview where we are headed. Uh, when we get to chapter three, we're gonna see God kind of laying out more charges that he has against these leaders and against these people, and then he's gonna give a final verdict of kind of the result, the thing that they're headed toward if they don't repent and change their ways. And then we're actually gonna go back a chapter to chapter two and look at how things got so bad. But first, a couple disclaimers. Number one, maybe you just heard that this is gonna be a talk about leadership, and so you're like, you know what? I'm not like a leader in an organization. I don't run an own, my own business. I'm not a politician. So this talk isn't really for me. False. What we're gonna see is that leaders are simply people who have influence in the lives of other people, and we all have influence in the lives of others. Everyone leaves awake, so we better pay attention. And the second thing we'll see is that this passage is just as much about following as it is about leading, because who we follow matters. It has massive consequences for our lives. It helps to shape us and deform us into the type of people that we will become. So we should follow the kinds of, excuse me, the kinds of godly leaders that he has in mind for us. So everyone follows someone and everyone has influence. Everyone leaves a wake. What kind of wake are you going to leave behind? That's the question we're gonna ask ourselves today. So with that, let's jump in. Micah chapter three, verse one. Here's Micah speaking. He says, then I said, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, Woo. who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh from the pot. Then they will cry out to Yahweh, but he will not answer them. 
At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil that they have done. This is what Yahweh says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. All right, happy Mother's Day, right? Like perfect passage for Mother's Day. And I know our minds and our thoughts immediately jumped to like this talk about tearing flesh and flesh in a pot and all that kind of stuff. So hold on to that for just a second because there's two foundational questions that I want to ask. And that is, who is Micah talking to, first of all? And then the second thing is, what did they do wrong? What does he have against them? Well, in the first four verses in particular, we see Micah addressing like civic and community leaders, uh, government leaders. So they're, they're like local judges and, and people that lead in the community, that kind of thing. And what does he have against them? Well, he's accusing them of a lack of responsibility for their own people. Uh, the language obviously is really colorful. It talks about eating flesh. That's common language for oppression in the Old Testament. But Micah's point is really clear. They have oppressed their own people, their own fellow citizens, even becoming like their enemies. They of all people should have been just and righteous. They were judges after all. They were supposed to help these people find justice, but not only were they not doing that, but they were actually oppressing them themselves. Then we get to verse 5, where Micah turns his attention to the prophets in Israel. They were supposed to give a word for God, sometimes of hope and encouragement, and other times of judgment or challenge. And what does God have against them? Well, they're giving more favorable prophecies to those who would pay for it. So they're greedy, they're out for money, and it's affecting the way that they're prophesying. Let's keep going. Let's, um, let's look at verses 9 through 12. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for Yahweh's support and say, it's not Yahweh among us. No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. So again, we see much of the same stuff that we've seen over the last two weeks. People are taking bribes, they're greedy, there's unjust labor practices. But notice at the end, what does God say will be the wake of their leadership? Let's look at verse 12 again. It says, therefore, because of you, leaders, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. So Jerusalem... And everyone in it, not just the leaders, they will be plowed like a field because of the corruption of these leaders. These are heavy, challenging words, but they remind us that leaders leave awake. And that really, leaders never just impact themselves or the people that are closest to them, but they affect entire systems and institutions and churches and even entire nations if they are corrupt and unjust. That might sound like a little bit of an exaggeration, but I think most of us can relate to that. All of us have been impacted by a bad leader at some point in our lives, right? 
whether it was a teacher growing up or a coach or maybe even someone in your family that had influence over you or uh, a business leader that you worked for or any of these different sorts of things, a church leader, of course, um, things like that are often in the news. We are all evidence of the fact that this happens, right? I'll never forget when I was first starting as a pastor in Colorado, and I gave my first ever sermon on a Sunday morning in a church setting, and I thought things went pretty well. So I walked into uh, the office on Monday morning feeling like, feeling like I, I did a good job when the lead pastor pulled me aside and he said, Chris, I didn't get a chance to listen to your message yet, but from what I heard, like you're not nearly as gifted or charismatic as me. It's not the way that I would have done it. I was floored, I had no (laughs) words. But I can still remember the exact place in the building where it happened. And even when I get up here to do things like this or to lead worship or to do different things, I hear his words echoing in the back of my mind. You're not good enough, you're not talented enough, you're not charismatic enough. His words left awake. But my story's not unique. You all have similar stories, maybe similar narratives that you've latched onto because of a bad or a corrupt leader. And every single week in the news, right, we, we see more leaders who are fallen or making corrupt decisions or another church leader who's fallen. And in every single situation, that leader never just impacts themselves, but they leave a wake of trauma and pain that affects everyone around them. Leaders leave awake. So how did things get this bad? At least in the story of Micah and the Israelites, how did, how did things get to the point where they're at? I don't think the leaders just like woke up one morning and decided to be these kinds of corrupt and unjust leaders. And we have actually glimpses, we have clues in chapter two of how they got to this point. So let's look back, let's jump to Micah chapter two. The first thing we'll see is that the leaders had wrong beliefs about God. So let's look at Micah chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does Yahweh become impatient? Does he do such things? And then Micah jumps in. He says, do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright. Now, it's sometimes difficult within Micah to tell who is speaking and when. And this is a perfect example of that. It's kind of confusing to know what's going on here. But Micah is essentially quoting these false prophets and some of the things that they are saying to him. They believe that they're God's chosen, that they have this covenant relationship with him, and so of course they're gonna protect them and bless them. It doesn't really matter what they do. Because of this covenant relationship, God is gonna watch out for them. He would not possibly bring this kind of destruction upon them, but Micah answers and he says, no, you need to hold up your end of the relationship, your end of the covenant. And so essentially we're seeing this theological disagreement between Micah and the prophets about what God is like. But here's the thing, the false prophets, they weren't completely wrong, right? They were at least half right. God is abounding in love, he is patient, he is merciful, but he's also just. And when he sees the vulnerable and the oppressed being made victims of violence and corruption, he moves toward it, he holds people accountable, 
and he judges. So what we believe and what our leaders believe about God, it matters. It matters in in such a huge way here because the leaders, they were spreading kind of this view of who God was and the people took it upon themselves and they too presumed that anything goes and it was about to have disastrous consequences. If I'm honest, this aspect of God's character is something that I often wrestle with. That being his judgment and his anger. And some of my deepest moments of wrestling and doubt and questioning, they have to do with these two things, with his judgment and his anger. But what I've come to see is that God's judgment and anger actually flow out of his love for people created in the image of God. Because if God just like never got involved and never held people accountable, never judged, never got angry when he saw people created in his image being vandalized and abused and slandered, if he just stood on the sidelines and just kind of watched as the whole world burned, that kind of God wouldn't be good or loving. And I wish I had more time to talk about that, but Pastor Charles actually gave a talk back on January 9th in our I'm Fine series uh, that talks about anger and God's righteous anger. So definitely go back and look at that if you didn't get a chance to listen to that. But I and we need to have a balanced view of who God is. He is loving and just, and that is a good thing. The second thing that we'll see is that the leader's greed made them corrupt and unjust. Look at Micah 2, verses 8 through 9. Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. So again, we're seeing more of the same kind of thing. But in verse 9, we see him call out these landlords who have stolen the land of vulnerable uh, widows and, and children. And in each of these examples that we've seen, it's clear that there are powerful leaders motivated by greed who are, because of their greed, treating their people unjustly and with corruption. Their greed has led them into mistreating their own people. And then we see these haunting these difficult words in verse 10. It says, get up, go away, for this is not your resting place. Because it is defiled, it is ruined beyond all remedy. So essentially, God has determined that rather than acting as his covenant people, the Israelites are acting like God's enemies. And he's had enough. So essentially, he says, get out. You no longer have a right to this land. After hundreds of years of this kind of injustice and oppression, God has finally had enough. Finally, the third thing that we'll see is that the leaders surrounded themselves with yes men and told people what they wanted to hear. Look at verse 11. If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, That would be just the prophet for this people. So here God is telling the people that they've actually enabled this kind of behavior from their leaders because the leaders surrounded themselves with yes men and the people 
obliged. Because apparently Israelites, they would rather just like hear about the latest beer and the wine of the season than they would actually hear a word from God. It's really sad, actually. And it reminds me of a song about a guy named Bruno. (laughs) Some of you know where I'm going with this. How many people have seen the movie Encanto? All right, that's a lot of the room. Again, my kids love the movie Encanto. They would watch it three times a day if they could. I, no joke, have seen it over a hundred times, and I'm sure my wife listened to it on the way to church today. But there's this song that just surpassed the most popular Disney song of all time. It used to be Let It Go, and now it's this song about Bruno. Anyone know how it goes? I would try to sing it for you, but I'm pretty, there's a girl raising your hand. I would love for you to come up and sing it, but we'll, we'll try that afterward. I would try to sing it, but I'm pretty sure my voice would crack. But they say, we don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. See, there was this kid, there was this son in the family that essentially had the gift of prophecy. And he was prophesying that like, look, bad things are going to happen. They're going to come if you don't start like loving each other and paying attention to this. But they run him out of the family. They get rid of him and no one knows where Bruno is. And honestly, the Israelites are a lot like the Madrigal family in the movie Encanto. Micah prophesies bad stuff, like get rid of him, get him out of the family. See, they didn't get to elect their leaders or vote for them, but they have given them influence into their lives. They've adopted their bad teachings and their theology. They've become corrupt like them while simultaneously pushing much needed voices like Micah's out of the family. The leaders surrounded themselves with yes men and the people obliged. Here's the thing though, there is hope. We're two and a half uh, weeks into the book of Micah and maybe it just seems like, man, this is super depressing. When is there ever gonna be hope? The hope is that leadership doesn't have to look like this as evidenced by, well actually Micah himself. Earlier, we skipped over chapter three, verse eight, where Micah describes his own leadership, but let's go back and look at that now. Here's chapter three, verse eight. But as for me, I love that. He's talking about all these corrupt leaders, but he says, as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of Yahweh, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. So if we contrast Micah's leadership with that of the corrupt leaders, we're gonna see some incredible differences. There's a number of things. Micah is filled with the spirit. He always speaks through God's power, through his spirit. He walks with the Lord and he knows him. Second thing we'll see is that Micah is focused on justice. He does what is right. He's not motivated by money. He's not motivated by greed. He actually cares for the most vulnerable people in Israel. Often throughout Micah, you'll see him use the words, my people, my people, my people. That's Micah talking about his own people because he loves them. And then finally, we'll see that Micah is filled with might, with courage to speak unflinchingly in God's name, even though he knows it's not going to be popular. And Micah's leadership leaves a completely different kind of wake. It leads to safety and protection. 
Something happens in Jeremiah chapter 26 that gives us a really unique, rare view of the direct ramifications of Micah's leadership. Jeremiah was another prophet who wrote about 100 years after Micah. And most of the time, we don't know exactly how these prophecies turn out. Well, well we do, because Jerusalem gets destroyed eventually, and we know that those prophecies came true. But here, Jeremiah actually quotes one of the verses that we just read and then talks about the direct ramifications of it. So let's read that right now. Jeremiah 26, verse 18. Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. He told all the people of Judah that this is what the Lord Almighty says. Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Does that look familiar? Chapter 3, verse 12. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, or anyone else in Judah put him to death? Did not Hezekiah fear the Lord and seek his favor? And then get this, this is amazing. And did not the Lord relent so that he did not bring the disaster he pronounced against them? This is incredible, you guys. About 100 years later, Jeremiah actually says, you know what, because of Micah's leadership and him being bold and courageous and saying these things, at least some of the leaders repented. They turned toward God. They changed their ways. And because of that, God relented. And he didn't, at least up to the point that he was writing this, bring the disaster that God had promised. Micah's wake of leadership literally saved lives. It's incredible. So that was like a few thousand years ago. Leadership seems like it's probably a little bit different now. So how do we begin to apply this to our own lives? Here's two ideas. The first one is this, is to be intentional about who you follow. As I said at the beginning, this passage is just as much about who we follow as it is about leadership because it matters who we follow. It matters who we give influence to. And, and look, we have way more power than the Israelites did to actually choose and elect our leaders, to choose which churches we're going to attend and who we're going to allow to have a voice and influence in our lives. So what should we look for? Well, one of the first things that we talked about is the, the, the leader's beliefs in God. So when it comes to who we're following, we want to look for people who think deeply and teach deeply about who God is. So do they do that, or do they just kind of give us fluff and feel-good kind of messages that never challenge us? We ourselves need to be people who think deeply about God, who think correctly about God to the extent that we're able to do that. Theology matters, and so we need to follow leaders who think and teach uh, well and deeply about who God is. Second thing we looked at is that leaders had this corrupt, kind of greedy relationship with money. This is a common temptation for leaders, is greed and, and seeking after money. We know this at Blackhawk Church. Several years ago, way um, back in the Whitney Way days, there was a professor here at the UW who taught economics. She was in, invested here at Blackhawk, she led a life group. And when some of the leaders here at Blackhawk found out that her dissertation was in uh, fraud in nonprofit organizations, like, hello, does that sound like it might be useful? When they found that out, they moved right toward her and said, like, can you help us avoid fraud here? We would love to hear from you. And she said, of course, I would love to help with that. 
Can we just say that we love the UW and the professors there and all of the expertise that they bring to our city and to our church? Thank you so much, you guys. But this woman started this system that we still use to this day. One of the first things that she did is that there's this volunteer team that does an internal audit. They're experts in all of their different fields, and they look at all of our safeguards and processes here at Blackhawk when it comes to things like um, how we handle money, who's touching it, when, and, and making sure that, that that is all done well. They'll look at the moment a dollar goes into the online giving kind of system, how does it make its way through to make sure that nothing is shaved off of the corners? They have access to look at whatever they need to, not even just related to finances, to make sure that we are this upright uh, congregation, this upright church that is dealing well with money and has these safeguards in place. Why? Because we know that money is a temptation and we wanna make sure that our leaders have these kinds of healthy relationships with money. So in the people that we follow, we ought to do the same, follow people who have a healthy relationship with money. One of the other things that we saw is that Micah is filled with the spirit and with courage. He walks with him and he speaks unflinchingly in his name. So again, are we following teachers and leaders who are challenging us at times or are they just always telling us what we want to hear? And then finally, do our leaders love and care for and have compassion toward the most vulnerable and oppressed in our congregation, in our city? Do they care about justice and are they pursuing it in their own lives? We have to follow leaders who care about these things. Because it's easy, right, to just like follow someone who has a ton of charisma and can gather a crowd. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but are we just following a personality or are we following people who walk with Jesus and represent who he is and help us in our own relationships with God to become more of the people that he's created us to be? That is the kind of leader that we want to follow. So be intentional about who it is that you follow. Here's the second thing, is to be intentional about the impact you're having on others. Because regardless of your vocation or your age or how many followers you have on social media, we all have a degree of influence in the lives of the people around us. Whether that's our classmates or our teammates or coworkers or neighbors or family members, you name it, we all have a sphere of influence where God can use us. So how are we leveraging that influence? Are we greedy for money and corrupt and surrounding ourselves with yes men? Do we have weird, incorrect views about who God is? People will notice that and they'll latch onto it. Or are we compassionate? Do we care about justice? Are we being formed daily into the kind of people that Jesus has created to be so that we look more like him and can reflect him more truthfully to the world around us? Are we learning about who God is and the things that he cares about? Are we being formed as leaders? Because you tangibly represent who God is to the people around you. It could be good, it could be bad. It could be positive, it could be negative. But when people see you, they see a reflection of what God is like. And so we need to be intentional about what it looks like to have an impact on others. Leaders leave awake. It can lead to destruction and chaos and injustice. Or, like Micah, he can step into the injustice that we see in the world and say that this is not okay. 
and we can tangibly represent who God is to the people around us. All of us have influence. All of us leave awake. And to prove my point, to close today, I want to share just a bunch of short stories from our own community of people who maybe didn't think so at first or felt incapable of being able to do so, but they're leaving an incredible wake here at Blackhawk and around the world. So let me share these stories. There's a woman named Diana whose son Asher is hard of hearing. He was diagnosed with hearing loss at seven months old, and though it's been a hard road for their family. In order to bring some good out of their situation, she started this nonprofit called Asher's Gift Box. They send a box uh, to families that have recently had a similar diagnosis that, um, that is for people who are hard of hearing, and it includes an ASL book and a book with hard of hearing characters and a stuffed animal with a hearing device that she makes herself. And in one year, Asher's gift box has sent out 127 boxes around the world. Leaders do what? Leaders leave awake. Somebody say amen to Deanna's story. For years, a man named Jorge has come here to pray every Sunday morning and even many Fridays during COVID. And many times it was just him. But recently, we've had a small group of people in the prayer room here at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings joining him in prayer, and a culture of dependence on God and prayer is being developed here at Blockhawk Church and specifically at Brader Way. Jorge, thank you for what you're doing. Leaders leave awake. Yeah, praise God. Then there's a woman here who has been inviting her neighbors to her home to talk about life and church and faith and all these different kinds of things. And they share meals together. For many of them, they don't really have family to go to during the holidays, and so uh, this actually isn't them. This is the next story. Um, so she brings them into their home at times when um, holidays and things like that when they don't otherwise have family to go to. And she's leaving an incredible wake of um, just love and hospitality hospitality, leaders leave awake. And then about a year ago, Guillermo and Julie, that was the picture, there we go, that's the right one, they started feeling led by God to lead a group of native Spanish speakers here at Blackhawk Church. While they've recently started to meet here at Brader Way on Sunday mornings, and the group has exploded. People have been inviting their Spanish-speaking friends, and it's not uncommon to walk around the atrium and to hear people speaking and praying in Spanish, leaders leave awake. You likely won't know their names, but many weeks you'll see Jim and Oliver up here working as stagehands. It's a brother, or a brother, it's a father and a son combination. Jim is actually serving somewhere on the camera crew. Thanks, Jim, for doing that. But imagine the influence that Jim is having on Oliver and that they're having on our church as they lead and serve together. Leaders leave awake. Then there's a woman named Bobby who ran into Miguel after getting some work done on her car. Bobby uh, is in our Gospel Fusion venue, and when she ran into Miguel, she could tell that, um, that uh, well, Miguel could tell that Bobby was a Christ follower. And before he knew it, Bobby like, had her phone out and was showing him videos and pictures of past worship nights and services and all that kind of stuff. Now, Miguel is a regular here at Blackhawk Church. He's already involved serving in the gospel, gospel Fusion venue. Shout out to you guys. And you saw him in the Easter video because he lives. Bobby's posture in her life is affecting everyone around her. Leaders leave awake. 
Then there's a woman here at Blackhawk that works in healthcare and has been advocating within her organization to help provide more resources to under-resourced populations in the Dane County area and for easier access to affordable medical care. Can happen in the business world too. Leaders leave awake. And one last one, just to remind us of our history. Over 50 years ago, a group of families started a small Bible study in a home on the west side of Madison. What did it become? Blackhawk Church. One more time, leaders do what? They leave awake. So who will we follow? And what kind of wake will you, will we leave behind? Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this reminder from Micah that's admittedly a confusing passage. It's a confusing book. But when we dig in, God, we see that you use people like Micah and like us to have just a significant impact on the world around us. There are people sitting in these seats and watching online at all of our different sites and venues that are literally saving lives or they're changing the scope of eternity for their family member or their friends, or they're pointing people to become more like you, Jesus, or they're doing all these incredible things for our community or their neighborhoods or or the world. And so God, thank you for the influence that you allow us to have. Would you shape us into the kind of people who love you and follow you in the way that you've called us to, that are filled with your spirit and with power and with might and courage to lead in the ways that you've called us to. Jesus, we love you and long to be used by you. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name.